Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Hello and welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And we have a lot to get to. Yes, we know that. And I'm sure everyone can guess exactly what we're getting into. But uh, before we do that, Sarah and I are a little sad to be starting this one just because um, the Ballpark Dimensions podcast is going to be going on a hiatus uh, while they're, you know, behind the scenes, people are trying to revamp some things uh, for the 2024 season. So this will be our last podcast for a little while. And hopefully that hiatus isn't too, too long because Sarah and I can't go without talking to each other in this type of setting for very long. So this is, uh, this is going to be highly missed, but clearly before we even go on a hiatus we have the biggest news obviously of the whole off season um and i I, i'm sure you know exactly what's coming we're definitely going to talk about the royals signing every single person in their brother right like that's this that has to be the headline here um no that is taking me by surprise and i keep texting our writer uh royals writer annie rogers like dude what is happening um Clearly, that's the headlines. Uh, No, I think the number one person, and we have a 1A, 1B type of situation here of Juan Soto and Shohei Otani over the last week of all the news that involved them. But I think we have to start with Shohei Otani and the mess that that was of following everything, wondering if he's going to Toronto. I've never seen more screenshots of flight paths in my life on X and... Just seeing everyone trying to figure out where he's going and if he's on this plane or that plane. And well, it ended up, I enjoyed how it ended up where he just broke the news himself. And I thought that was really cool. Um, and he's now with the Dodgers for 700 million, but only 2 million a year and waiting until a decade from now. And I'm, I still, I need to be a, a better math person to understand how all this is working, but Goodness gracious, my brain is not understanding $700 million. And yet it makes total sense for Shohei Otani. It's absolutely incredible to see him get what he does deserve, even if it's an amount that we don't understand. Of course, we got the drama, but as you said, we also got him announcing his own news. And now I just think of this Dodger team that trio at the top with him 
Mookie Mass, Freddie Freeman, former MVPs, all of them, and just, I mean, incredible, incredible top of the lineup. They all had at least a 160 OPS plus last season. There have only been two teams since 1900 to have three guys in the season qualify and all have at least a 160 OPS plus. The 1960s Bay Giants, Pasipeda, McCuffey, and Mays, and the 1929 Yankees with Ruth and Lazari and Lou Gehrig. So just that is the type of company they can join if they each have a season like the one they had this year, which is really, really crazy to think about. Now, Dodgers do need some more pitching for sure. That lineup is in a really, really good spot. Let's take it back to the winter meetings, which it's hard to believe it's already been a week since then. Um, it, it just, it, the chaos started there. And I think we all had a good idea that it probably wasn't going to be something that was announced there just because it truly seemed like everyone was just frantically trying to figure out who's talking where, and can you say that you're speaking to Otani? Do you not say, there was just so much confusion. And I think the highlight of the winter meetings was just the Blue Jays contingent having to figure out what the heck was going on when they're fully expecting to meet with their GM. Like all of us do when you're at the winter meetings and you cover a specific team, you end up meeting with your front office every single day. You go up to their suite, you sit there and you ask questions and um, try to get a better understanding of what they're working on or in the Guardian's case, what they might eventually at some point possibly work on, but probably not. Um, And then you just sit and you just, you learn as much as you can. Well, they're about to do that. They're getting closer to the time where they're supposed to meet. And then all of a sudden they get a Zoom link (laughs) instead of getting a, the time to meet and where they're supposed to be going. And then there's just Ross Atkins, who's uh, just sitting in front of a blank board, whiteboard blocking where he is. And everyone's like, um, where are you? And he's not answering that question. And I think I, from that moment is when it really sunk in that this isn't going to be your standard reporting. This isn't going to be the standard news story of how it breaks. Uh, I was not surprised when Otani broke it himself because it truly seemed like no one could get a pulse on what was happening. And that's really impressive. That's really hard to do in today's age of getting everyone to be on the same page of not leaking information of who's on board. Um, And I thought the Dodgers were going to be hurt by the fact that Dave Roberts was just like, you know what? Yeah, we just met with him the other day. And uh, when he was meeting, he had his manager session at the winter meetings and he's just talking freely. Yeah, we met with Otani. We had him out. So I was like, Oh, is that going to be a bad thing? But apparently not because he ended up with the Dodgers, but goodness, all of the reporting and all of the confusion. What were you thinking as you're sitting there watching this play out of where is he going to go? Oh my gosh. I mean, it was so It was so entertaining to see all of the focus in a way that we had never seen before. We have never seen a player this good in this kind of role, in this kind of stage in his career, be in this situation. And then there were all these stipulations, things being thrown out there. 
And I know there are people who had a problem with this or that, but I think if you take it from 3,000 feet and you just look at it, it was really exciting to see something play out in a way we'd never seen it play out before. Obviously, everything on Friday, last Friday, with the idea he may have been en route to Toronto and then he wasn't, was very, very intriguing to see. And I mean, I think it was good for the game to have this uncertainty in a way for people to think maybe he was going to the Blue Jays. I think it's really good him going to the Dodgers. It's good to see him and team like the Dodgers operate in this way. I think that's really good to see. But, I mean, it was just such a wild ride. And again, I want to hammer home the idea. Not just because he's Otani, but we really don't see these things happen, even for a normal MVP. He's only the second reigning MVP to change teams in free agency that offseason. The only other guy to do that was Barry Bonds after winning in 1992 with the Pirates and then signing with Willie Mesa Giants entering 1993. So even if you take a more quote-unquote run-of-the-mill MVP, not one who was throwing shutouts and hitting home runs and doing everything that he did, we have not seen players be in this situation. And then you add the fact, this guy is an international superstar. He has more name recognition right now than I assume any other MLB player, I don't know that for a fact, but has to be true because he has all these endorsements and he has such a big celebrity in so many places. So I just love all of the attention on him. I think this is really good for a game and I'm so excited to see him in that Dodger uniform. <laughs> What is it, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Eastern when they're in Seoul in Korea on March 20th and 21st? <laughs> and then again at Dodger Stadium a couple weeks later. It's going to be really fun. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see how some of these fan bases that he didn't choose do react when he goes there, you know. We have a balanced schedule now, so anywhere he won't be going in 2024, he will be at by 2025. I'm interested to see how Cubs fans react, how Angels fans react, Giants fans, and of course the Blue Jays fans as well. And even though the idea of anyone being angry at Shohei Otani is like totally alien to me, I think that people caring that much is also what makes the game great. So it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out. Obviously, the sports world is now dominated by sports gambling. And that's just been such a big thing. And the first thing that we saw as soon as he announced where he was signing was plenty of bets being placed on the Dodgers to win the 2024 World Series. And this goes against my whole 
or I guess goes along with my whole theory of it always seems like the teams that stack up and the ones that you think are slam dunk winners in the World Series always are like a first round exit. And to me, it's just, it's hard to comprehend how that always works out, but it always seems like it does. And I don't know, do you think that Shohei Otani and depending on whatever else they would do this off season, can that be enough to, it's not like the Dodgers are struggling. They always seem to be in the mix every year, but can that be enough to take them to the next level, even though he's coming from a team where he never saw the postseason, the World Series, anything like that? I mean, as I said before, they need pitching, whether it's Yoshinobu Yamamoto and making that double signing because the way the deferrals work in Otani's contract, whether it's, you know, making a trade like a Shane Beaver, perhaps, or a Tyler Gossow or whoever may be on the market, Dylan Cease, Corn Burns, or names we have heard. They definitely need to really address that pitching. But assuming that they do, assuming that they will, because we weren't in the room, but you know when they spoke to Shohei Otani, they didn't just talk about, here's the money we'll give you. They also talked about, here's our plan. Here's what we want to do in 2024, 25, and so on and so forth. And you know that we have heard how much he wants to win. And we know that he would be in there asking questions of, okay, who's going to be pitching opening day? Who's got the second game? And so on. So... If they do make those um, adjustments, acquisitions, what have you, I do think they're going to be among those favorites. We'll talk about another team in another big market. After the break, the Yankees have got one. So we're also going to be a very popular pick. But the truth is, I don't think in this day and age, in this game, there is any single player who you can acquire and know you're then going to win the World Series. If you go to Shohei Otani as he is now in the 70s, 80s, or way back when, you could probably make a book a trip at least deep into October. Well, we've seen these Dodgers win all of those games and lose in the first round. That's not to pile on them. We saw the same thing with the Braves going down this year. It is harder and harder to win in October. You have to win more games than ever before, even if you get that first round by, even if you don't play in the wild card round. The playoff schedule, and I love this about it, but it does not automatically mean that if you are the absolute best team in the regular season, that you are going to be hoisting that trophy on November 1st. So I'm certainly, I mean... (laughs) As it stands right now, I'm sure I'm going to be pitching the Dodgers to make it to the World Series when we make our 2024 pick. But it's just so hard to know. But I can say, having Shohei Otani puts them in a much better spot than they were in before they had him. I think that lineup is in a great spot. And I know they will do something about their starting pitching. And how much does this whole idea of him wanting to defer most of his contract um, 
so that they still have some financial flexibility. I mean, I feel like that is a game changer so that the Dodgers aren't completely bogged down with a 70 million a year uh, for the next 10 years. And for right now it's just 2 million and they can build around him. I think that's the part of this that is the most dangerous because if you can still build around him and you already have Shohei Otani, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, that's a a terrifying image for any opponent of what that could become. If you continue to add to that. Absolutely. And the magic number for the commanded balance act is about forty six million. So as you said, I'll be making two million a year during the contract, but the uh CBT hit is not two million, is that forty six, mm-hmm. which is still probably what most people roughly expected for this contract. But it is, as you said, a lot less than seventy and put them in a much better position to be able to have that flexibility, go out there, make another big signing or trade for a player they want to be able to extend. And so to me, when I saw about this, you know, we saw the reports, every national reporter had the same line about unprecedented default. And then yesterday on Monday, we found out what that meant. My first thought was, of course, he wants to win. He understands how a team is built, and he wants to help the Dodgers continue to build that team around him. So I really, really like him. Well, I mean, there's not much left that we can say about what happened here because $700 is a number that I will never be able to process. There's not enough time that we could sit on here. And truly, I was expecting um, $600 to be the the cap in my brain. Like, I was thinking that there's no way it's higher than six. That first number is not going to be higher than six. And so I was thinking 600 if someone's going all out and it's crazy. I was more expecting 500s and... Um, it was right when my husband and I were trying to figure out if there's an attic in this house and there has to be. So like we see this like little opening in, I don't know, it's like a little slot on the roof of our garage. And I'm like, you're going to go up there and figure out what's up there. Cause I needed to know. So he's in the middle of climbing this ladder and trying to throw himself up into the attic to see what's up there. And I'm supposed to be the spotter, but I don't know how well that would have gone. And my phone vibrates and I look down to see and I just yelled, oh my gosh. And he got scared thinking something was going wrong. He's dangling from the ceiling. And uh, then he came, he was like, what's going on? I'm like, guess how much Shohei Otani just signed for? And he's like, that's what you're worried about right now? I'm like free falling from the ceiling. I'm like, yeah, that's more important. So then he came down and he guessed. He's like, uh, 550. I don't remember what he said. He might've said 550 or 600. And I said, nope, $700 million. My brain still can't understand it. It will never. Um, so as much as I would love to continue to break that down, like you said, there's not much that we can know at this point of what this will mean, how this will play out until 2024 gets here. But I can safely say that everyone is way more excited to see 
how this could play out now that we all know where Shohei Otani is going to be playing. And I am also excited to see how the rest of the offseason now goes because that first domino needed to fall for everything else to be coming together here and start having other names uh, get taken off the board. And apparently the Royals are taking them all. Um, So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into the other big news of the past week. And that will be Juan Soto going to New York. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah. And while Sarah now has a front row seat to see Juan Soto anytime that she wants, because he's just a stone's throw away from where she lives, because she's coming from out of New York. And well, guess what? He's in New York now. I truly, the first thing I thought about was you. And I had a text message from you by the time I got to my phone, because we all know that if it's Juan Soto, Shohei Otani, or Julio Rodriguez, you're going to be all over it. Not that you're not all over everything, but those three in particular, we all know. Um, Juan Soto's been years now. And so to think of this going from D.C. to across the country and now back up to New York, he's found his way to being uh, right in front of you on any given day that you feel like showing up to Yankee Stadium when they're home. So what was your reaction to that? And I guess, how do you think he will respond to the beast that is New York media, New York fans, and that spotlight that now will be on him? Oh my gosh. Well, as you alluded to, (laughs) my initial reaction was definitely selfish. It was, oh my gosh, if I won, I can see 81 home games of Juan Soto this year. That is wonderful. Last year, I went to the ballpark when the Padres visited the Mets. We were to see him uh, when he was with the Padres. And, uh, you know, in the past, I've gone to other games, Nationals, to make sure I got to see his hitting genius in person. So I was very selfishly thrilled that he is playing in New York. Now something, I mean, is going to be so good for the game. They have a generational talent playing in New York. And there's the fact that, you know, you were asking about the beast that is New York. Juan Soto is going to absolutely eat that up. He is going to be so good at handling all that. This is a guy who... By all reports and accounts, loves the spotlight, loves having that kind of pressure on him. And I think he's going to be really, really good for the Yankees. And my goodness, I mean, we're just talking about Otani and Beth and Freeman in the same lineup. How about Aaron Judge and wants to just impress and then do up there? And it could be a trio if Giancarlo Stan is healthy. The idea of the three of them is just beyond comprehension to me. And one so dumb. So when he was traded in 2022, he was the first guy to be in multiple All-Star games and be trained at least one before turning 24. He was 23 at the time. He's now 25. Just turned 25 in October, and he's the first guy to make at least three All-Star teams and be trained twice. 
before turning 26. And the point here is that we have not seen a player this good beyond this main team. And there are a lot of ways to, you know, interpret or analyze that. But the way I choose to see it is that three fan bases will have gotten the chance to absolutely fall in love with how good of a player he is and get to share for him. I'm so excited for New York to be cheering for him and love everything that he does. And, you know, it's fitting that we're talking about him right now because he is actually being introduced to the New York media on Zoom, <laughs> to the Yankee media right now as a recording on Tuesday afternoon. I got the email from Yankees Pierre earlier, so perfect that we're discussing this right now. I, I It seemed inevitable in so many ways that this would end up happening through the winter meetings as it was getting floated out there that the Yankees would be interested, that the Yankees might be trying to make this happen. And it just seems like as soon as you hear that the Yankees are trying for something, they figure out how to do it. And um, in this case, it, it seems fitting to have the biggest stars in the biggest markets as much as smaller markets uh, would struggle with that concept. Trust me, I have a whole fan base that I understand in Cleveland that hates the fact that big stars always end up in big markets, but it is good for the game. And I think the thing I'm most looking forward to is seeing how he could rise to the occasion with that. Um, And we saw that from him as I remember tweeting about him in 19 during the whole postseason run. And I'm thinking this dude can't even legally drink yet, but he's sitting here and he's just owning every step of this process. And he is, there's no spotlight too big for him. He's delivering any time that he comes up. And it was just, I was completely in awe of what he was able to do and how mature he seemed at such a young age. Um, And so I'll be curious to see if that side of him is still the same when he comes to such a big market, because that bright light can be difficult. We saw it with Francisco Lindor when he first went to the Mets, took him some time to adjust. There's so many things on and off the field that you have to figure out how to handle differently. Um, And it's not like DC, some tiny market, but it's still, it's, there's nothing that's quite like New York. And so um, I'm excited to see how he handles that. And then I'm excited even more to see a lineup of, geez, if everyone's healthy, Stanton, Judge, Soto, everything. That's just, that's going to be very fun for baseball. Uh, As I mentioned, he's being the meeting right now. And I just saw that on Zoom. You know, you should fill out your name. He put his name as 22, which is, of course, his uniform number. So and the other thing I saw were just some quick screen talk of him talking. But the other thing I see is that big smile. And that's something he and Julio and so many other poor young stars in the game right now have. They have that joy that comes with their approach and love for the game. And so, as you said, those lines can certainly be different when you are in New York, but I always come back to everything you said with the 2019 post that home run off of playing Kershaw in that game five of the NLDS. This guy, (laughs) one of my favorite things about baseball 
is that there's certain things we say that outside of the context, and it's not just baseball, it's all sorts, outside of the context of sports are terrifying. Like when you say a guy has a slow heartbeat or no pulse or something like that. <laughs> if you didn't know sports, you'd be like, uh, is he okay? But all of those things apply to Juan Soto on that biggest stage. And when he was in the playoffs with the Padres in 2022, he played really well. I believe his two longest home runs of his career with City Field with um against the Mets in twenty twenty. It feels like there's always been this thing with him in New York. There have always been stories or stats or what have you that have connected him to New York. So it's almost like you take a step back and make sense that he finally ends up in in June of twenty eighteen when he was a nineteen year old rookie. He had his first current multi homer game. Now, of course, it was at Yankee Stadium. He was the third youngest guy to have a multi-homer game at any iteration of Yankee Stadium. Only Ken Griffey Jr. and Andrew Jones in the World Series in 1996 have been younger. I mean, it would be really cool if it was his third multi-homer game or his fifth or his 20th. But the fact it was his first one, he was this rookie, been the majors for like 20 games, and then here he is at Yankee Stadium, and now he's a Yankee. My other all-time favorite Soto Sam is the man that uh, two days after that multi-homer game, the Nationals had a suspended game that they finished up against the Yankees in D.C. That game had started on May 15th. Soto debuted on May 20th. But resuming the game a month later, obviously you saw him into the lineup. So he comes in. He had to home run. And if you don't know, the way suspended game stats work is that they count for the day the game started. So Juan Soto, and I believe I confirmed this with Elias at the time, I'm pretty sure he's the only guy in baseball history to hit a home run before his major league debut, technically. Because his debut was the 20th, but if you go to his game log, he has a home run on May 15th for the Nationals on the day when he was actually in double A playing for Harrisburg in a game that ended up being suspended for them. Because of the same bad weather in the Atlantic coast. So, I mean, I could go on forever, but, I mean, it's really, really good for baseball to see teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees acting in this way. And I love the Indian one so in New York. We'll see what happens beyond this year. We'll see if he's on the extension, if he gets to regionally and where he lands after that. But this is going to be a really, really great year. Okay. So let's say let's say the World Series is tomorrow and you're gonna hate this and I'm gonna love every second of it. Um let's say the World Series is tomorrow. The teams are as they are and there's everyone's healthy. And we're saying it's Dodgers Yankees right now. Which one are you putting more stock into? If you just had a lean one way or the other, I'm not saying you had to at least make the prediction, but because of what the excitement is over these two teams right now, the additions they've made, which way are you leaning? 
I mean, if it is this exact <laughs> roster as a, I have to go with the team as a unanimous high young and just add a generational talent. In addition, Devin Gary, who went 62 a month two years ago and is now healthy. But again, let's have this conversation again yep. on April 1st <laughs> or March 25th or what have you. I expect the roster for at least, at least the Dodgers to look very different, but just a amazing offseason to see two names this big change teams. And again, I always come back to the fact that we get two fan bases, two very, very avid fan bases, getting a chance to fall in love with new players all over again. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we can do our favorite moments from baseball with our favorite producer, Alana Schreiber. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah. And joining us, as always, for our favorite segment is our favorite producer, Alana Schreiber. Do you want to start us with your favorite moment from baseball over the last few days? I I do. But first, I just really want to thank you guys so much. Uh, Being a part of this podcast has been so meaningful. It's the favorite part of my week, getting to just hear you guys talk about baseball. I learned so much from the two of you. And I'm going to miss this and really looking forward to the time when we can do this again. But this has been such a pleasure. Um, so for my favorite moment, going to step away from the MLB as I do sometimes. So as I mention all the time, I live in New Orleans, uh, but there's this community called Ville Platte. It is this town in like Cajun country. People speak French. It's awesome. And it is the most generous town I've ever been to. And I've done a lot of work with their radio station over the years. They have this French and English Fringlish radio show. And I would go on it. And like, while I'm talking on the radio, some farmer walks through the door, like I heard the nice lady on the radio and brought you some potatoes or like the mayor walked in with a gift basket once. Like it is the most generous town I've ever been to. So about a week ago, I saw a tweet from this guy saying, hey, I'm the new high school baseball coach of Ville Platte. We are starting this team essentially from scratch. We have no equipment. Can anyone donate anything or just, you know, help us out? What can we do? So I'm thinking like this town has given me so much. I really want to give back to them. So I reached out to a couple high school baseball coaches and batting cages in New Orleans and just heard back really incredible responses. So I've really spent the last week driving around New Orleans, picking up used baseball equipment. My attic is now full of it. And it's um, I'll go into this team in Ville Platte. But I really just want to shout out Louisiana high school baseball coaches and batting cage owners who were so generous to donate this equipment. I mean, they are giving equipment to a team that they could very well be playing in a year or two. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because what they care about is that any kid that wants to play baseball can get that opportunity. And I've just been really amazed with the generosity I'm seeing from these local coaches. And I think it just speaks to the way that this game just really brings people together. And you just want to support anyone who wants the opportunity to play. The game is amazing. It brings people together. But can we recap that over the last, what, three episodes we've recorded, we've had a lot of organizing the last fundraiser and now organizing this. I mean, we need more spotlight on you and everything amazing you are doing for the world. 
not just baseball, but the world. So, I mean, Mandy will say something as well, but we love chatting with you. And half that, more than half the night, we finished recording this podcast. One of us texts the other and says, oh my gosh, I love her. <laughs> that's a real thing that happens so much, and that's all about you, Alana. So I am so grateful to baseball for bringing us together. Wow. You always say, like, I don't want to cry, and now I'm about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you set such a standard for us in this segment because you always start it, and I'm like, why did yeah. we do this this whole time? We should have just had her end it because <laughs> hers are yes. always the best, and they're so much, like, deeper than just, like, oh, my gosh, this cute dog, this cute baby, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, hers are so much deeper. Um, but we love love doing this with you. I'm so excited for the day that we're doing this again. Um, and I'm going to miss learning more about Louisiana where the crooks and nannies of every corner down there of figuring out how you're making connections with someone's brother's friend's roommate to be able to hook them up with this thing. It's been really, really impressive. I've enjoyed listening to you every single time that we're doing this. Um, and now Sarah and I will have some time to figure out how to take ours up to the next level because we need to figure out how to do that because we're lacking in ours. Oh man, I'm going to miss you guys so much. All right, Sarah. Well, after we've already lowered the bar for everyone, what is your favorite <laughs> moment from the last few days? Mine, mine is not nearly as <laughs> yeah. world-changing, but on last night, on Monday night, there was a home run derby in Venezuela. The great Daniel Alvarez Montes works for Alex Chabasse with his mother, Mari. Um, let me know what's happening second year in the row at the blue. He's like, hey, sir, here's the link. So I shared that major people knew what was happening. Major people saw it. And for the second year in a row, Valde Coney Jr. won. It was really fun. We had Torres, Francisco Alvarez, uh, Anthony Santander, a couple of guys who have not been the majors as recently, like Jose Rondon. And it was just so much fun. And, of course, the big, big thing in this year was that Miguel Cabrera was there. And this was kind of one of his, you know, goodbyes to baseball in his name, Venezuela. All of the players who participated in the event, except for one, were in Venezuela. And they were all interviewed, asked about, you know, how much he impacted their careers and their dream. It was really cool to see him get multiple ovations. He hit a few home runs. I think he had three or four. Pretty good for a four-year-old who has not even played in a few months. It was just so much fun. And I love the idea of having Mickey there and Ronald Acuna there. Probably two of the next three Hall of Famers from Venezuela with Jose Altuve being the other one. And then you also had Jackson Torreo. Was yet to debut, but just signed that uh, $80 million contract with the Brewers. His prospect, who I assume will be on their opening day roster, and he actually went against Acuna in the first round and talked about how Acuna has influenced him. So you had like two and a half generations of Venezuelan players and their future on display. So it was really cool and it was also always really fun to watch a home run derby. 
Oh, you can't beat off-season home run derby because obviously, as Sarah has said multiple times, there is no off-season when it comes to baseball because she always finds a way to continue to watch it. Um, I will go, I'll go with my guardians route just because the story is ridiculous of how this all came together for them last week at the winter meetings. Um, obviously baseball had their second, uh, MLB draft lottery system to figure out the order for next year's draft. And, uh, the guardians who had a 2% chance of being the first pick became the first pick, which, um, watching all of that unfold was a story in itself. I'll back up a little bit because the I, the story of how it happens is so crazy to me. And it was so funny to just hear how this all this whole day played out for them. So this is why it's my favorite moment. It's just seeing these guys as normal human beings as we never, ever do. Um, they're always so stoic and uh, very they keep everything very tight lipped and you don't ever see true emotion. And so to watch all this unfold was funny. Well, the draft lottery actually takes place about three hours before the broadcast. And each team has the opportunity to send a representative to the lottery if they want to. There was about 15 to 20 people in that room, 15 to 20 teams sent a representative, the guardian scouting director, uh, who was named the scouting director three days before that draft lottery. Um, he started um, at the winter meeting. So a brand new scouting director for the Guardians gets sent into this room. It's like a lottery. You have the little balls with numbers on it, and they blow it up in the little air machine and all that stuff, and four numbers get drawn, and those four numbers are a combination. Each team... It has a certain number of combinations that mean they are the ones who are drawn based on their odds. So the worse that you did last year, the higher the odds you had. Some teams had as high as 18% chance. Guardians only had 2% chance. They're all sitting in this room. They figure out the order. At first, it was it was the Nationals who were supposed to be the first overall pick, but then that was voided because they. It, it, there's a whole bunch of nuances here. But... Once the order was determined and the Guardians did get the first pick, they can't leave. They have to stay locked in this room for two hours until the broadcast happens with no phones, no electronics, no nothing, so that this does not leak. So all these executives are stuck in an empty ballroom doing uh, nothing. You're sitting there and then all of a sudden MLB brings out board games for them. And so you have a whole bunch of board games for these guys to kill two hours. They have no clocks. They have no idea how long they have in there. There's no windows. They can't even gauge the time based on outside <laughs> light. So they're just stuck. And the Guardians freaking out because they had no idea that they would even come close to being a first pick. Um, this poor guy, Ethan Purser, he's just sitting there bottling all of this emotion. He can't tell anyone. And he has to sit down and there's Yahtzee. There's a sequence. Some guys started a game of Texas Hold'em with a deck of cards and they used uh, cook. They used cookies and Cheez-Its as poker chips. And so they're <laughs> sitting in there and they're just doing this. And the broadcast started at 5 p.m. Central time. So at 4.58, they were allowed out. And, and, the, and Ethan Purser for the Guardians went sprinting out of the room, went up to his own room to get his phone, trying to let everyone know, like talking to everybody about what's going on. And um, meanwhile, we're talking to Chris Antonetti, the president of baseball operations for the Guardians. 
we're sitting there in the media workroom. This year, they added this new twist that all the GMs would come down into the same room and talk to whoever would come up. And so we're sitting there. And as he's coming up to us, he gets pulled over by the PR staff. And they're like, "Um, you might want to hang around. I'm sitting there looking at him. And he's like, nah, stop. Like I'm seeing him react and thinking, what's going on? Well, then we start to piece it together that they're figuring out that they're going to have the first round pick and he has to be on the TV set in a couple minutes um, to be over there. So just to see him piece it all together and then to watch him run out onto the stage during the broadcast and um, Brad Paisley is announcing the name and Antonetti (laughs) comes running out like a kid in the candy shop with this big smile. And he goes and jumps on John, uh, John McDonald, who's uh, their uh, minor league field coordinator. He was the representative on stage for the TV broadcast. Someone from each team was up there. He just runs up and jumps on him and like hugs him. And it's just like seeing that side of these guys who are like, almost like robots in ways because they can't ever show emotion. They can't lead you on to something. Can't let tip you off on something. They have to like say, keep everything so close to the chest and then not say anything. So it was so great to see him just let loose because this was something he wasn't expecting, caught him off guard and we got to see genuine emotion. So to hear the story of how that day started to where it ended and the jubilation that they all experienced, uh, that was by far like the highlight for me for the winter meetings. It was a blast. I mean, I was watching on TV and I loved even seeing him play out that way. That how you mentioned to John McDonald. I mean, I was watching. You know, sometimes there are things on TV or that you see that make you smile because mm-hmm. someone else is smiling. Like, you don't even realize and then you realize you're smiling. <laughs> when I saw that pure joy from Chris Antonetti, and the way that John McDonald kind of almost jumped back because he was startled <laughs> because Antonetti came out of nowhere. I love that moment. And even when he did TV, as you said, it was so genuine because he really did seem so surprised. And he was talking about he told this same story you did about how he was in the workroom talking to the media. And then Bart Swain, the PR guy, comes up to him and was like, hey, we need you. He's like, huh? And it was just so cool to hear him tell that story in the moment to Harold and Greg. And it was really, and damn. And it was really fun to see that play out, obviously. And if you're a sportsman, you watch other draft lotteries play out in the NBA, in the NHL, and what have you, but... I actually didn't get to watch last year because we were there, so I wasn't watching the broadcast. Because you and I were somewhere, or Mm -hmm. we were in the workroom, or whatever it was. So watching on TV, I was so locked in, I texted you, wow, like immediately. Mm -hmm. I love hearing all the backstory of how it played out. I was so excited to see who they pick. Well, as much as I want to continue talking so that we can just keep talking baseball and and not have to go on this little hiatus here, we do have to bring this podcast to an end. Feel free to still go back and listen to our previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Even though we are going on this hiatus, you can still leave us a rating and a review if you have any suggestions for this show moving forward. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we hope to see you soon.